The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. All right, Matthew chapter 11, let's look at verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go, and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night, and I pray that you would bless uh, those who have come, and thank you for the opportunity we have to fellowship together, and, and Lord, just to worship you and to praise your name. Bless now uh, the message that, that I will preach. I pray that you, would, uh, that you would empower it and give it meaning to our hearts and minds. Thank you for all who are here again. We, we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. John is now imprisoned, and he is certain of his fate. His fate is the headman's axe. And he, John, has heard the displeasure of his own disciples over the increase in Christ's followers and the decrease of his own. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, if you would. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter number 7. And I'll begin reading at verse number 18. We read here, And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. And John, calling in unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. John's disciples, seeing the crowds following Christ, uh, went to John with their report, saying that this Jesus makes more disciples than you. Now, there is a possibility that John, uh, because of the circumstances he was under, questioned whether or not Jesus was the Christ. I've read some commentary notes where that's the opinion. I've also read other commentary notes that disagree with that. Uh, I would not argue with you if you feel that John had a, lax, a lapse of faith and sent his disciples to, to Jesus to see if he in true, indeed were the Christ. But I don't, I don't have that opinion. I think John, because he witnessed at the baptism of Jesus, he witnessed uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, and I believe that John fully knew that Jesus was the Christ. I think there was another reason why John sent his disciples to Jesus. And I think it was to quiet the dissension in his own followers. I think it was so that these men could go and see the ministry of Christ and then return and come back to the others and give report. They would see the truth of Christ for themselves. Now, after we, the scripture we just read, after the departure of these men, look at verse 24. It says, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. And then we see the passage from the first passage we read. Well, he asked the question, What went ye out for to see? He inquired as to why they sought out John in the wilderness. He asked these people, So why did you go seeking out John? Tonight, my message is, why are you here? And, and I, I explained to Brother Gerald just a few moments ago, it's not the deep philosophical question of life, why are we here? That's not what this is about. My message tonight is, why are you here in Berean Baptist Church? Why did you come here tonight? Now, many, in the, many went out to see John in the wilderness, and Jesus asked them, what went ye out for to see? Uh, was it to see the one, maybe, that many people labeled a wild man and a lunatic who, who ate grasshoppers and wore harsh clothing? Was it, was it to go out and see a spectacle? Or was it to ex- seek acceptance and validation of their pharisaical lifestyle? That's... That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees went to John. They knew John was a prophet, but they went seeking validation for, them, for themselves. Was it, was it to seek for truth and doctrine? Why did they go? What, what Jesus said, what went ye for to see? I've been closely involved in the preaching and outreach ministries of the local church for more than three decades. And I, too, often wonder why men come to church. 
Now, during these many years, I've seen men come to church for many reasons. Uh, I've seen people come to church because of family issues. Maybe their marriage is not going too well, or maybe they're having trouble with their children. Those of you who have been here a long time, you've seen that too, haven't you? People sometimes, they have problems, and what do they do when they have problems? They think, well, maybe if we, maybe if we go to church, God will fix all our problems. And so they come to a church like this, and, and they come seeking a quick remedy. And when they don't find that remedy, after, after several weeks or maybe even several months, and the problems don't get better and the issues don't change, they disappear. Many come because of financial issues. They're having, they're having financial problems and they think, well, you know, maybe if I go to church and give a little bit money, maybe things will get better. Some come for personal advantages. I've known people who have come to church just to gain a position, just to gain stature in the church. And they come seeking personal satisfaction and personal gratification. Now these are similar to the reasons that men went to see John. And not only that, but it's also the reason many followed Jesus. Look with me, at, let's turn to John chapter 6 for just a moment. John chapter 6. Now, we all know that many, many thousands of people followed Jesus. And they were, they were, they were following him primarily because they wanted to get fed. And they had learned pretty quickly that if they go to Jesus, they were going to get fed. And so, Jesus had a crowd following him. But look in John chapter 6 with me, and let's go to verse 59 together. We read in verse 59, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, uh, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Did you see what, what we read in verse 66? From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You see, Jesus, as long as they were getting fed and they were, they were, they were being profited in, by some means 
in following Jesus, they were content to do so, but as soon as Jesus began to put expectations on them, which he did in the verses preceding verse 59, then they said, well, wait a minute, this is kind of hard. This isn't too easy to do. And then they quit following Jesus. And that's the case in, in many churches across America tonight. Um, in churches like, like this church, where, where doctrines are, are taught and where truth is preached, men say, that's a little bit harder than, than I wanted. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with all of that. And so they, they walk away and do not come back. Oh, as long as, as long as we're preaching smooth things, as long as we're telling them all the things they want to hear, they'll come. And they'll even be content to throw a little bit of money in the offering plate. You know, men will pay to be lied to. It's amazing. You look at these guys and these TV evangelists and these, these men like that, they get paid well to lie. They get paid well to, to speak to the, to the uh, ego of men. But let a preacher stand behind a pulpit and say, Thus saith the Lord. And the crowd thins out, and it thins out in a hurry. That's why preachers in churches like this don't have private jets and limousines to take them to church and back home. They're lucky if they can keep their car notes paid and their lights on in their home. But that's for another message. However, thanks be to God that not everyone was following Jesus for the wrong reasons. Thank God some were there for the right reasons. And this is what I want to focus on tonight. I want to focus on being here for the right reasons. Now let me begin by stating that we do not seek out God. Okay, I want you to understand that first. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. You and I do not seek Christ. And further, we do not choose Christ. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, we read, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So let's, let's understand right now, tonight, first thing, let's understand, uh, don't seek Christ. And God chooses us, we don't choose him. Remember, we were alienated from God by our sin. Dead to, we were dead to truth, and we were content to live in darkness. And though we might, we maybe from time to time thought about God, and maybe even visited a church or two here and there, maybe at times we, we seem to be looking for truth, but we didn't go out and seek for it. And if we did go out and look for truth, it probably wasn't for the right reasons. 
It was for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Maybe your marriage is, wasn't going so well, and so you, maybe, maybe a man will come to church and his, he'll bring his family and say, fix us. Like the pastor is going to speak words and they're all just going to magically change. And it doesn't happen that way. Uh, financial problem. People come to church and they throw money in the offering plate. Of course, their motive is wrong. The reason they're giving is not to glorify God. It's not out of a heart of thankfulness. It's just because they want God to give them back. And they want God to fix their problems. So men look for Christ at times, but not for the right reasons. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Let's, let's go there just for a moment. And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to some scriptures, so... The faster you turn, the quicker we'll, we'll get done. Matthew chapter 12. And we'll go to verse 43. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. There's a story here of a man. And let's read, beginning to read verse 40, 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return to my house from whence I came, and when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be also unto this wicked generation. In other words, this man had some troubles, and he, 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 he sought the Lord, and, and you see where it says his, his home had been swept out, it was empty, and it was garnished. You know, men will come to church and sometimes they'll get, they'll get a little bit enthusiasm. They'll come and they'll hear preaching and they'll say, well, that's, you know, that's, that's what I need. That's what I have to do. And they'll actually try to clean up their life for a little while. And they'll go on through their life and, and they'll, they'll, they'll get rid of some things that they know they shouldn't have. But you see, it's not from a heart of repentance. It's, it's, from, it's from ulterior motives. And in the end, they end up worse than they were before they started. You see, many men go to churches and the polluted doctrines of so many ministries today have, produces, have produced churches filled with these types of people. False professors in Christ, men and women destitute of the Holy Spirit, having a form of godliness, Oh, you can go to a lot of churches where there's a lot of outward standards. Women have to dress a certain way. Men have to wear their hair a certain way. Teenagers look like they've all been put out by a cookie cutter. Huh? You got a certain kind of music, and they got this and that, all these outward standards. They have a form of godliness. But the Bible says denying the power thereof. They don't believe in the sovereign grace of God. They don't believe in God's sovereignty. They, they, they refuse to submit in obedience to God. They have, they have their standards. They have their rules. They have, they have their opinions. And leave them alone because that's what they're going to follow. And all the while, they do not follow the God of grace. These are often placated by these corrupted ministries. They're, they're content to be like they are. 
And if you come along and try to tell them anything otherwise, they label you as, as, as cruel and mean and hateful and ignorant. Yeah, we, we do not seek God. It is God that seeks us. In John 15, I read it a moment ago, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Yes, we have been chosen, but we've been chosen unto a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God in all things. Now, if this is true, and it is, that would also include our attitude and our commitment to the church. Uh, this takes me back to the question I asked at the beginning of my message. Why are you here? Now, I know everyone here tonight, and I know that none of you are here with, with the motives we discussed earlier. However, we must remember how easy it is to get off track in our life. I think, I think everyone here that, I, I, as I said, I know you all, and I think you're all here because you love the Lord and because you want to glorify him and you want to do all the right things. But, you know, it's easy to get into a rut, isn't it? It's easy to get into a habit of going to church, and all of a sudden, one day, you find yourself going to church, but you, you don't seem to have the joy that you used to have. You, you get into a habit of following the Lord, but then one day you wake up, and it just seems like it's all just routine. It lacks the same, the same joy that you used to have in doing it. So, this is what I want to do tonight. Um, from time to time, we need to be reminded of even the most basic truths. And that's what I want to do tonight. So why are we here tonight? Why do we make the sacrifices we make? Why do we... Why do we put aside the time to, to come to church? That's a good question. And by the way, that's a question you better be prepared to explain to your children. You better be prepared to teach your children, and those of you with grandchildren, you better be prepared to explain to them why is it so important that we be in church and that, and that we... We do all the things we do. Why, why are we here? Well, let me, let me share some thoughts with you tonight. Number one, we're here tonight in obedience to the Lord. In obedience to the Lord. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now, this is a command. We are told to not forsake the assembling. We are commanded to assemble together. And by scripture, we can see that this is observed on the first day of the week. 
Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we read, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, we won't be here till midnight tonight. So you can relax. We'll be out of here by 11 at the latest. But we see it was on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So we see that the first day of the week is the time of the gathering, the assembling of the church. Now know this. When we fail to assemble with our church, we have failed to obey the Lord. Now there are extenuating circumstances. If you're, if you're too ill to be here, and I, I use the word too ill because you can be sick in that pew as well as you can be sick on your sofa watching some program on television. Now, if you're sick and you're, what you have is communicable, for all of our sakes, stay home. Don't come here and share your germs with us. Don't come in here and sit in the back row and cough for an hour and a half. And those little, little bugs float all over the place. and We all get to share on your, on your uh, misery. There are extenuating circumstances, reasons why we may not be able to come into a church, but those are going to be few and far between, okay? It's not going to be 75% of the year. So there are reasons, perhaps, for us not to be here, but, but we need to know that when we fail to obey the Lord and assemble with our church, then we are not being obedient. We are disobeying the Lord. I think one error today is when people consider church their duty. I don't like that word. I don't like that word. You know the definition of a duty is a task or action that someone is required to perform. Now the truth is that attending church is a privilege, not a duty. I don't have to come to church. I have the privilege of coming to church. Now you say, well, you know, that's, that's kind of splitting hairs. Well, let me, let me try to expound. If I make church a duty in the sense that I am performing a work to gain the favor of God, then I have failed to understand the truth of obedience and I devalue my worship of God. I, I turn my worship into a work. If, if, I, if I view coming to church and worshiping God as a duty, a, a responsibility I have, then in essence it becomes a work I perform to gain the favor of God. Now we all have a responsibility to obey the Lord, and he has told us to assemble together. So coming to church is obedience to God. And it's a privilege. It's what I get to do. I don't have to do it, but I have the privilege of doing it. 
And maybe, if you just, maybe it's just a wordplay. Maybe you can disassociate the two. But I am I'm really a stickler on this. You see, Catholics perform their duty. Mormons perform their duty. Baptists have the privilege and the honor of coming to church and obeying the Lord and worshiping him. If, if, I, if I can boast in fulfilling a duty, if I can stand there so proudly and say, I go to church every Sunday because it's my duty. Then what need do I have of blessings from God? My reward is my boasting. But if we choose to obey the Lord, and we, we choose to assemble together on the first day of the week, and if we are faithful to do so, not because we have to, but because we have the privilege of doing so, then we gain his blessings upon our life, for we are being obedient to him, and we come together to obey the Lord. So why are we here tonight? Are you here tonight because you have to be here? Or is it because you desired to be here? Is it because you desire to obey the Lord? And the Lord commanded us to assemble. So first tonight, we're here in obedience to the Lord. Secondly tonight, we're here for instruction in righteousness. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll begin reading at verse 14. We read here, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We come to church to be taught the principles of God. Yet, I've encountered many over the years who refuse to be taught. And they refuse to be taught because they refuse to submit to a teacher. You know, when I was a teenager, my father was a carpenter. I used to work with him after school hours and in the summer. And my brother was, a, was in college, and he came home from college one, one time, and he and my dad got to discussing concerning the, what makes a plane fly? What keeps a plane up in the air? And they got to discussing it. Now my dad, my dad was, was, an, was a smart man, but he wasn't an educated man. Daddy was, was good, he was strong in common sense, but not in book sense. And dad disagreed with my brother as to what made a plane fly. And this 
this argument, they used to get, the two of them would get into arguments about something. Not arguments, but heated conversations. And it would go on so late in the night, my mom would just walk over and turn off the light and, and go to bed. And my dad and my brother would sit in the dark and keep going. But dad was a man, he was stubborn. My wife would tell you that I inherited this from my father. And she's right. But my dad couldn't be taught something because he wouldn't submit to a teacher. He, he, he knew it all. Well, the, a few days later, we were in the, at the lumberyard, and my dad was, was talking to the owner of the lumberyard about this. And he told my dad, he said, well, Lewis, he said, your son is right. Oh, no, no, no. Dad said, no way. No, he's not right. And, and the man said, look, this man right here is a pilot. And that pilot said, yes, Mr. Abshire, your son is right. No, no, no. You don't know what you're talking about. This man was a pilot. And he didn't know what made a plane fly. And my daddy, who was a carpenter, did. You know, some people just can't be taught. Some people just won't come and sit in here and will not, will not accept what's being told to them. You can show them in the Bible. Pastor mentioned this, I think, last Sunday evening. Years ago, there were people who sat in his office and said, yes, what you're telling us is in the word of God, but we will not accept it. Just can't teach them. Now, we read in 2 Timothy that the word of God was given to us for, among other reasons, instruction in righteousness. But before we can accept instruction in righteousness, we really need to understand what is righteousness. Now, Merriam-Webster describes or defines righteousness as being morally right or justifiable. Now, how can we, who are depraved, behave morally are justifiable? The answer is, we cannot, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, in verse 13, we read, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We are here to grow in the Word of God. This is why we come. We come so that we might learn and that we might grow. And we must come, uh, and we are here to mature into soldiers of Christ. Now, I spoke this morning in Sunday school class about uh, desiring the sincere milk of the Word that we might grow. And, and I, I talked about how it's it's the desire of every parent that their children grow. And it's the, desire, it's the desire of God that you and I grow as believers, that we mature into soldiers of, of the gospel. Now, to accomplish this, we cannot go to the world because uh, the world cannot teach us anything concerning spiritual truth. We must come to the feet of Christ and be instructed in his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Remember Christ's admonition to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. What, what was going on? Well, well, Martha, she was in the busy in the kitchen, and she was busy uh, preparing food, and, and she was cumbered about, the Bible says, with much serving. But, but Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and she chose the best part. Because serving God is definitely important, but worshiping God at his feet is the priority, and it is the best part. Imagine if your child did not attend school and did not receive instruction. I mean, you, you parents, you got, you'd get your children up in the morning, you'd sit them in front of the TV set and turn it on and, and, and go on about your business, and you'd hope that they're going to learn whatever they need to learn from that television set to become mature adults. That would be foolishness, right? None of us here would do that, I don't think. But yet, how often do I see Christians lay out of Sunday school class? And they and their children are losing, losing out on instruction they need. Do you know, I, I, I believe that God touches the hearts of people that are care about your children and care about you. And God touches their heart and they prepare lessons that God, God gives them direction on. And that part of those lessons are meant for you. And if you're not here to hear it, you're not receiving the instruction you need. And your children are not being instructed in righteousness. And so they're going to receive instruction from whatever other things are going on, and one day you're going to look back and say, where did I go wrong? What happened? Well, you didn't put them where they needed to be. So we have to, be, we have to, we have to understand this. Oh, and by the way, there's always an excuse for why they don't come. There's always an excuse. But just remember this, an excuse is just a lie wrapped up in a reason. That's all it is. For every excuse not to be here, there are 10,000 reasons to be here. I love that song. As a matter of fact, we're, we're trying to work that into our schedule now. 10,000 reasons. It goes, you're rich in love. And you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. So just remember, whenever you decide that you have a good reason not to be in your local church, not to assemble, just remember there are 10,000 reasons why you should. So we're here to receive instruction. So come, 
and submit to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But then thirdly, why are we here, number three, for correction and reproof? For correction and reproof. We read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 just a moment ago. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Now, how do we mature? Well, we mature by going through events in our life, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes, and growing. And we ultimately mature. We talked this morning in Sunday school class about patience. And I told you those with gray heads are more patient than those with full colors in their head. Because, why? Well, because we've learned through life not to be hasty and not to overreact to things in our life. We learned, unlike a young person who, who will jump in on something right away without even thinking, older people have, have learned to say, well, no, wait a minute now, hold on just a minute. Hmm? So, we mature by going through occurrences in our life, gaining experience and wisdom. However, if someone is not there to correct us, we will just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And to mature spiritually, we must go through the same process. Now, we, read, we just read that the scriptures are not only profitable for instruction in righteousness, but they are also profitable for reproof and correction. All of us, as we grow up, we are, our parents correct us, right? Or at least they should. My dad sure corrected me. And he wasn't too concerned about how I felt about that correction either. Dad never once said, now son, am I hurting your feelings? And am I squashing your enthusiasm? Dad didn't care if he squashed my enthusiasm. He didn't care if he shot through it with a shotgun. It didn't matter to him. My dad knew when I needed correction, and he did not withhold that correction. Now there were times when my dad would after correcting me several times, would just step back and say, okay, go ahead. Now, he wouldn't do that if something was going to harm me, but, you know, he would let me go ahead and, okay, you, you, you want to learn things the hard way? Go ahead. Go do it. And I'd come back crying and whining, and he'd say, uh-uh, you should have listened. Correction. Remember what God has told us in his word. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 together. We're just, we're real close. Hebrews chapter 12. 
And look with me at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also combassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's that word patience, and patience comes from correction and instruction. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that uh, was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of uh, right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not that thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Clearly we see that God chastens and scourges his children. But I believe that this is done as a last resort to only the most stubborn of his children. My father would warn me before he disciplined me. He'd tell me, don't do that. And if I didn't listen to him, he might, he might maybe might tell me a second time. I said, do not do that. But that, my dad wasn't the type that would say, now, if you keep doing that, I'm going to come over there and spank you. Dad never, dad never threatened to come. He just announced his arrival. So we understand that we are to be, that, 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 the, that we are, are, are warned of God, that we are to discipline ourselves. Now, herein lies the purpose of preaching. What does the preacher do? Well, the preacher gets up here from the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, and he admonishes us, and he warns us about uh, sin and, and the things in our lives that we need to fix. The pastor, the preacher, attempts to correct us, but sometimes we're stubborn and we don't listen. So, God corrects us, and he reproves us. Now, teaching uh, is imparting understanding and knowledge. Preaching is convicting the soul of sin. Teaching is designed to equip the believer with the tools needed to grow and serve Christ, while preaching is designed to cleanse the heart and the mind of man to glorify Christ. God will use both teaching and preaching to impart correction and reproof unto us. But be warned, he is always ready to chasten and scourge if we resist the teaching and preaching. Consider Israel. Time and time again, the nation of Israel 
fell into sin, and prophets went throughout the, the kingdom and preached righteousness, but people would not obey. So the Lord would, time after time, allow them to fall into captivity and bondage, and all because they rejected his word as preached by his prophets. I've heard people say to me, no one is going to tell me how to live. You ever hear that? No man is going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Well, you're right. But if you're a believer, be ye warned. God will. He'll get tired of it. And he will get your attention. So why not just submit to the teaching and preaching? And heed the correction and reproof of the Lord. Of course, to heed the correction and reproof of the Lord, you have to come and hear it. So that's why we're here. Why else are we here? Number four, to love and serve. To love and serve. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we're going to begin at verse number 12. We read here, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. At the beginning of this message, I stated that one of the reasons men sought out John in the wilderness was for personal advantages. By this, I am referring to the Pharisees and Sadducees that came to him. In fact, John even asked them, Who hath warned you? And he called them a generation of vipers. He, John, knew they were not sincere in their desires to know the Lord. But in John 13, we see Jesus teaching a valuable lesson to his disciples. He is teaching them that one is not greater than the other. He is showing them in his human self that we are all to love, respect, and serve one another. In John chapter 13 and verse 35 we read, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Again, back to that sense of duty I spoke of earlier. A sense of duty allows you to complete your task without caring about anyone around you. Right? You have duties at work. 
And you can complete your duties at work and despise everyone there. You can, you can do what you're required to do and feel no love or compassion or concern for anyone else. But a sense of obedience penetrates all areas of our life. And a sense of obedience will not allow us to mistreat or abuse one another. It's terrible. Over the many decades I've been in the ministry, it's terrible to see the mean and hurtful things that are done in the name of Christianity in our churches today. And I'm not talking about taking a righteous stand against evil. There are times when we need to be bold and take stands against things that are, that are, that are wrong. I'm talking about people offending one another over needless issues. People getting mad at someone else because they sat in their pew. And you may think that's silly, but I've seen it happen in this church. I've seen people get mad and get into an argument over someone sitting in their seat. Years ago, two ladies got in that room over there and they were going at it. Because somebody sat in their seat. That's not, that's not why we're here. We're to love and to serve one another. I don't have time to turn to it and read it, but in Galatians chapter 6, we read concerning the fruits of the Spirit. And, and in, those, in that list is love. We, we, we see the spirit of love for all men encouraged by Paul in these verses. And not only those of the faith, but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love all men. You know, you don't have the ability to judge a man. Do you, do you know that? And that's why God doesn't want you to judge other people. Because you cannot do it fairly. You cannot judge another man, you cannot judge another person without making mistakes. Because our understanding is limited and we will always judge people based upon our own preferences and our own experiences. And this is why Jesus doesn't want you to judge anyone. He just wants you to love everyone. Now, we are to judge evil because we, we recognize evil. And we are to judge evil, but we have to be careful about judging the evildoers. Now, we may separate from them and we may not fellowship with them and we may instruct them and we may admonish them, but we're still to love them, aren't we? And you know, you're not going to get that kind of teaching anywhere other than the assembly of the Lord's church. Oh, you're going to go to men like Joel Osteen and they'll say, oh, love everybody. But that includes those that are doing wrong. And we are to love them, but we are to take a stand against their evil works. And we're to admonish them. 
Paul encouraged us to love all men. It is so important for us to remember that in the local church, when one of us hurts, all of us hurt. When one of us falls, all of us suffer. I'm reminded of this truth at the death of Saul. Again, I, I don't have time to read it. I did intend to read them, but the verses of Second Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27, where, where David laments over the death of Saul and Jonathan. And David uh, pours out his heart for his great love for, for Jonathan and his deep, deep respect for Saul, even though Saul sought to kill him and Saul hated him, David still loved him. And David made a statement in those verses. He said, publish it not in the streets of Gath. Why? Because it'll bring joy to people that hear that Saul is dead. And David was a man who, who understood that when one of us falls, all of us suffer. We're to love one another. There is no joy when the child of God falls. There's no glory when they fail. Over the years, I've, I've heard stories come to me of people who, who were once here and, and have, have fallen or failed. And you know, that never really brings me joy. I never, I never, I never say, "Wow, woohoo!" I'm sure glad that old man died. No, there's no joy in that, and there's no glory to to the people of God when one of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ falls into sin or or fails. There's no joy to us, and there's no glory to God, because men will point fingers and they'll accuse and they'll say, "You see, you see." He believed in God and look what he did. There's nothing good that comes from that. So we're to love one another. We're to love one another even as Christ loved us. And we're to serve one another. We're to esteem each other better than ourselves. And we are to serve one another without regard for cost or reward. Well, you know, I... I don't know if, you know, if, listen, if, if, you, if you know to do good and you do with it not, what is that called? Doesn't the word of God say that when we know to do good and we don't do it, that that is sin? We're to love and serve one another. We're to, we're to serve each other without regard of cost or reward, but simply because we are brethren and simply because it honors and glorifies the Lord. Now I need to stop talking. Jesus said, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? A man clothed in soft raiment? A prophet? Why are we here tonight? Why do we come to Berean Baptist Church? Well, I hope it's for the right reasons. I hope it's in obedience to the Lord. 
for instruction in righteousness, for correction and reproof, and to love and to serve one another. Now there are many other reasons to to be here tonight, but these are are the ones that I, I thought I would highlight tonight. Do you love the Lord? If you love the Lord, you'll love his church. He died for the church. Do you understand that? He gave his life for the church. So don't tell me you love Christ if you don't love the church because he died for the church. The church is his bride. He loves the church. So you can't love him if you don't love the church. And if you love the church, you'll want to be here. You'll want to be here every time the doors are open. And you'll love the people that are here. And you'll desire the fellowship. And you'll, you'll be happy and joyous at, at the success of others. And you'll hurt and you'll sorrow and you'll weep at the failures. If you love God, obey Him. Serve Him with all your heart. Honor the things that He has asked you to do. If you love the Lord, show it. Let it come through in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the church. It is in this place, Lord, that we have fellowship. It is in this place that we are instructed in righteousness. That It's in this place that we receive correction and reproof. It's It's in this place that we can love and serve one another. This is the place that you have called us to. This is the place you've chosen that we will serve you. So Lord, I I pray that the message that I preached tonight would be received in the spirit that it was given. I ask, Lord, that we would examine our hearts and that we would truly be able to say, I love the church because it's your bride. You gave your life for it and you love it. So help us tonight to to be serious about our, our lives and to be serious about our responsibilities in the local church and make us faithful, Lord. Help us to learn to be faithful, to see the great privilege that it is to be in this place and to be a part of all that's done. And Lord, we don't seek any of this for our own glorification, but Lord, we seek it to glorify and honor you so that men might observe our obedience to you and they might be encouraged and might be inspired to live better lives themselves, more, more obedient to you. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Now we ask you to bless as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.